It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Jay Crawford, Adam the Bull, Garrett Bush, and so many big names, it would take me hours to say all of their names. The ultimate Cleveland sports show. Booyah! It's Friday! Woohoo! Where's Bull? I thought Bull was going to be here today. Bull has told us that he was going to miss Monday, Thursdays, Tuesday, Wednesdays. The next couple of weeks, it's going to be Monday, Friday. So you. So I won't see Bull. You're not going to see Bull till football season. Yeah, oh, thanks, Bull. Yeah. Like, like, can, you, can you imagine that first day back of school? <laughs> like, that's the, first, that's the first day after the summer. Actually, Good to see you. in two yeah, weeks, exactly. In two weeks, Bull will be here on a Monday. Okay, so I'll see him then. So you'll see him then, and then right, he's not good. supposed to work on Monday for the next, like, six weeks. All right, so. very good. All right, a no um, lot to get to today. Yes. Uh, a gut punch last night in the Guardians oh, game. Goodness. Absolute mm. gut punch. Mm. These games are worth two. Mm. Yeah. So instead of being two and a half out there, four and a half out, it was the bullpen, who I'm going to make an argument here in a little bit, that's just overworked. I got. An I issue. think they have the top three appearance guys in baseball are in the Guardians bullpen. And I have a big issue with the way Tito's managed that group over the last week and a half. Well, you're not big alone. Issue. You're not alone. And um, that was the strength last year. We always talked about how that's the most difficult area to duplicate success is the bullpen. And we're, we're seeing that to be true. Now, they're also struggling in scoring runs, although they've scored 28 in their last four. So that's starting to come around. We'll get into the, the Guardians, but boy, that loss last night, man. It's a When they went up 6-3, I it's thought, a, wow, they're, they're going to be two and a half out, despite the sky falling. Yeah. My dad was at, he was at my house, and, and he's, uh, my mom and me are putting stuff away, and he's upstairs. Yeah, man, Guardians six runs, man. We, the bats is going. Yep. Hey, hey. Bats is going, Garrett. I'm like, oh, okay, let me see what you talk about. Next thing you know, man, it's a tie ball game. Next thing you know, man, the Guardians are lost. <laughs> I know. It was horrible. It's tough. It really was. It's tough. Big win for the Twins. Tough one for the Guardians. Also, we're going to talk about game one of the NBA Finals. Yawn fest. I mean, absolute snoozer. It pretty much played out how I thought it would. It was never really a game. I think Miami got it to single digits nope. briefly in the fourth quarter. Nope. Ten. They got to within nine. Ten. Look, they got to within nine. No, I always track those things. I didn't think they cut it. It was a, they were up twenty-two and there was eleven zero run. They got it to then, nine early in the fourth. I could be wrong. Check the game log. Irrelevant because yeah, they irrelevant were down. They were down twenty going to the fourth, as, and yeah, it was smoked. as soon as they made it even remotely a game. Denver said, "Yeah, yeah go we're home. out. Go home." And I think this. I think that's going to be the way of the series. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't want to kick dirt on Miami too soon because we thought they were all dead when they blew a three zero lead and it was three three, and they came back and won Game Seven on the road, but. We'll get to that. Also, this is a fascinating conversation. I'm glad you guys put this on the list today. Two things on Miles Garrett. One, is he a Hall of Famer? If he walked from the game right now, is he a Hall of Famer? It's it's a discussion, mm-hmm. um, and and we would love to hear your thoughts on that. If Miles Garrett left right now, let us know. Is he going to the Hall of Fame? His numbers are tremendous, but does he have to do it longer? And also, I love this question. Is this year setting up to be the biggest of his professional career? I think with the help that he's got now, 
and Jim Schwartz in? I think that's a very fair and legitimate question. We'll dive into that. Before we get into the meat of our show today, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I think it's, I, I particularly because of my relationship with Jim Donovan and what he's meant to me in my career, I just wanted to take a little bit of time to, uh, to talk briefly about his situation. I'm sure by now, most of Cleveland sports fans have heard that Jimmy is, um, I, I don't want to say he's battling his cancer again, because I'll be perfectly honest, I think Jimmy has been battling this since his original diagnosis decades ago. Um, he has done it in a very stealth-like way. He does not like attention. He doesn't talk about himself. He feels uncomfortable talking about himself. And I think Jimmy, for the most part, has been ongoing with his treatments. Um, but recently, um, he's learned that he's back in the throes of the fight of leukemia. He's been getting regular chemotherapy treatments. And he woke up two days ago and realized that his hair was falling out because of the chemotherapy. And rather than you know, as, as valiant as it's been for him to try to hide it and just to try to manage this himself, he realized he wasn't going to be able to do that. He wanted to get ahead of it. He shaved his head. He came in. The staff was informed. He told all the viewers and Cleveland on the 7 o'clock show a couple of nights ago of his situation. Um, Jimmy is, and I'm not saying this now because he's sick again. I have said this throughout the time I've known Jim Donovan, both as a person and as a sportscaster. Jimmy is quite simply the best local sportscaster I have ever seen. I've worked in some major markets. I worked 17 years at ESPN. J what Jimmy does is mind-boggling. Mind mind and the way he does it, you'll know this because you've been a sports anchor before, McNuggets. Uh, typically, sportscasters write out everything they're going to say. He doesn't write anything, right? He's never used a script. He will sit down in his chair. Shut up. And he will know what his elements are. I've got three and a half minutes to navigate Guardians highlights, a scoreboard, a soundbite, maybe a Cavs highlight, a scoreboard, a highlight, and then a few other items. And the reason it's written is because you've got a strict three minutes, 3.30, whatever it is, you, ha you have to hit that time, particularly because Jimmy's the last element in the show. After the sportscast, goodbye, evening news is next. Mm -hmm. So producers and directors love that all that is perfectly scripted out to the word because you can time how long the show's going to be. Jimmy's never done that. You told me that the first time That's I crazy. met you when we spoke about Jim Donovan, and I was like, there's no way. Have you seen it and in then the you studio? Yeah. It, have you ever been up there to watch him in the studio while he does it? Yeah, I've been in the control room, too, and they have gotten, I guess, have learned over the years. They know his cadence. To follow him, but yeah. the first time I was in there, I was like, if I was a director, I'd, if I was director Steve, yeah. I'd be like, no way. Like, no uh, way. So I've done that at a few stations that I worked at. I had a director in Columbus and Tampa that were tremendous, and they understood that I liked to ad lib and I liked to freelance. But to be perfectly honest with you, my – going that route was because I found out Jim did it. Mm -hmm. When I was, and I've talked about this on the show, I've told Jimmy this, I still have the VHS tapes. When I was a freshman at Bowling Green, and all through my time at Bowling Green, when Jim Donovan was here, just starting as the sports director at Channel 3, my parents would set up the VCR so it would record for 15 minutes from 6.15 to 6.30 and 11.15 to 11.30 every Monday through Friday. 
When the tape got full, they would drop it in the mail and send it to me, and I would watch back all of Jim Donovan's sportscasts because even as a young 18-year-old who knew he wanted to do this for a living, I knew there was something special about this guy. I didn't know what. I just loved his passion, his energy, his spontaneity. It wasn't until later I learned that none of that was scripted. It's the most remarkable thing I've ever seen in this business. Now, we, we freelance this show, obviously. You're not going to write a two-hour show. Everything we do here is unscripted. But I can honestly say, of all of the things that I've been able to accomplish in my career, it's abs- even though Jimmy didn't know me until much later, my first day on Cold Pizza, Jim Donovan was a guest. Oh, really? Because my first day when we launched Cold Pizza, October 20, uh, 2003, LeBron James was making his NBA debut the same time I was debuting at ESPN. And we needed a Cleveland guest to talk about LeBron's first game in Sacramento. And they came to me, knowing I'm the Cleveland guy, and they go, who you got? And I said, this is easy, Jim Donovan. And he didn't even know that, well, I, I take that back. We had met, we watched the 97 Rose Bowl, Ohio State and Arizona State, on the sidelines together. I followed him around like a puppy dog. It was the first time I'd ever met him. I introduced myself to him and I said, I hope you don't mind, but I I just, I'm like, you know, a young Major League Baseball player getting to uh, pick the brain of Mickey Mantle. That's the way I viewed it. So, and he was gracious. He answered all my questions. And years later, after I started at ESPN, I had him on as a guest and I knew he was doing the 11 o'clock sportscast the night before. And we were on the air at 7 a.m which means he had to be back here at the studio to do a sta- satellite hit for, to, for the show, that, which was anchored in New York. And he said, yeah, no problem. I'll do it. He graciously came in. He did it. That's when our relationship really began, although we met at the Rose Bowl. And Jimmy didn't know it, but once I found out that he, was, that he ad-libbed everything, I thought, he's the best I've ever seen. For me to be that good, I've got to learn how to do that. And I taught myself, just as he did, to do sportscasts without writing scripts. And if you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It was absolutely, he was the impetus for that. Um, I think as, as I did that and mastered that, it was crazy how my career took off. Because I learned, I'm not reading now like everybody else. Now I'm telling sco- I'm stories. I'm, I'm, I'm a storyteller. And it feel, when you do that, it feels like you're talking to the audience. And as an audience member watching, it feels like Jim Donovan's talking to me or That's to you exactly or to it. anybody. And when you go unscripted as opposed to reading, even the best people and you know, the main sports center anchors, they read scripts. and, and They read them word for word. There's a teleprompter. You read every script word for word. They ad-lib a little bit. But for Chris the most Fowler part. Chris Fowler is another one that just completely wings everything but what would you say 98 out of 100 99, 99 out of 100 read every word they're talking and they write they're every saying. word or a everything. producer writes it yep. and when you that's do go ad lib and that's what you know i've been here for a year in cleveland a little over a year and i watched jim pretty freak i've only met him twice in passing yeah couldn't have been nicer in our little uh mini interactions but the ability to do that brings the viewer into the studio yeah. and brings jim Donovan into the living room and they have that interpersonal connection and even though he's speaking to a million people through the tv right 
it feels like a one-on-one -on -one connection, and that's what yeah. makes, in my opinion, him special. And when we first talked, you said he's the best to ever do it. I've told what, you what, that. I've, what I've, you just repeated, you told me the very first time we I've met. maintained that, honestly, since, I, since the late 80s. And now knowing him and, and watching him for a year, I, I don't disagree at all. Yeah. I, I think the most impressive part about it is sometimes, like you talk about state-run media all the time. Like when, you're, when you are the voice of a, uh, of a football team, you're the voice on the air, and people know you, and you do the news locally, you are pretty much the, I would say, the representation most times of the organization. Right. The executives aren't going to meet, and you are the person that is the voice of the Browns. So I found it always very refreshing that when he does his hits after the games and when the Browns are bad, he says it. And he yeah. says it with a level of candor that a lot of people can't do or get off, right? Like He's authentic, that's he, why. He gives yeah. that energy after the game, and I've heard him say, like, you know, the Browns, this was a disappointing season, and they just didn't have it. This thing looks ugly. And I, I, I can respect somebody that's, that's the voice and the face of an organization being able to keep it real to a point where they're saying, listen, this is what it is. I represent the team, but I want the team to be better. And I've always respected him for that. So that's another skill set that very few play-by-play yes. men, because he's, he's really two-in-one. He's the best local studio sports anchor I've ever seen. He also happens to be the best radio play-by-play -play guy I've ever listened to. I've listened to all of them. In the NFL or just in, in the sports NFL. in general? In the NFL. Now, here's, here's the thing about what you just touched on. There is the unwritten rule when you're state-sponsored state media, that you're not going to be too critical of the team. You're an employee of the team. You're mm -hmm. one of us. There are guys, Michael Kay in New York with the Yankees is a guy that if they suck, he's going to say they suck. And if they want to fire him for it, he'll, he's, he's he'll fall on the sword it. and he'll go. Yeah. But there's very few net local guys, radio guys, that feel... Now, he, Michael Kay is a TV play-by-play -play guy. Mm -hmm. But there's very few local guys paid by the teams that have the skill set to throw darts at the team when they deserve it, but do it in a way where the team officials can't even be mad because he's telling the truth. Right. Jim never lets his emotions get the best of him. We have our Monday chats every Monday, and I'll, I'll say, oh, my God, this, that, and the other. Jim always puts it into perspective. This was a bad matchup from Jump. Yeah. You know, we're going we're gonna to beat teams that are better than the team we just lost to, but this was a bad matchup, and he tells you why. So when Jim does his on-field recap immediately after every game that goes on to Channel 3's yep. digital site and does tens of thousands of hits I every Monday. It. I watch it every Monday. Everybody does. It's, a, it's, it's, it's appointment mandatory television. appointment, appointment watching television. on Monday. Jim tells it the way it is. That's why he's as popular as he is. He's always fair. He always gives it to the fan straight. If... If the team was bad, Jimmy doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't hide it. He says they were bad. If they're good, he doesn't overhype it and say they're going to win the Super Bowl now. He just says the way he sees it in that moment. So he's accomplished so much in his career. Early in his career, when he first started here, this station was actually owned by NBC. It was an owned and operated mm -hmm. affiliate. Jim used to do national NFL games for NBC. So he would have an assignment every Sunday. Oftentimes it was the Browns because he knew the team so well. But imagine that tricky spot. The national voice of a game between the Browns and 
it oftentimes wasn't the Browns and the Bengals because those games were going to their number one crew, which was usually, I think, uh, Cricky and uh, 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 Dick Enberg, Enberg, <laughs> uh, Trumpy. Yeah. Those yeah. guys used to do the big games, but Jim would get sometimes he'd get like a Cleveland, you know, uh, San Francisco game or yeah. whatever. And he always managed it just fine. No one in San Francisco would know that this guy was the local guy for Cleveland because he was fair. But And he also did Olympic assignments for NBC. So he's done so much in his career. It's incredible. And I don't even like talking about it like he's done because he's not. I know Jim's not. It hasn't stopped him before. It's not it hasn't stop him stopped him before. It will not stop him this time. He will work through this as much as he possibly can. The hope is he'll go through this round of treatments and he'll be back as strong as ever. Jimmy has been here at WKYC for 38 years. Mm. Absurd. I mean, I don't know this. I feel a little odd saying this, but I don't think there's a broadcaster. Forget sportscaster. I don't know that there is a broadcaster in the business today that can say that they've been at the same station for the last 38 years. He's been, um, he's been loyal to this city and to this uh, station. He's meant a lot to our area. Jimmy, we love you. We're behind you. And I know that in a very short period of time, we're going to see Jimmy doing it just as energetically and as passionately as he always has. Um, he's, he's definitely going to beat this thing and move on forward from it. So, uh, again, Jimmy, get well. I know he's going to work some through this, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll be seeing him. But uh, I know he's going to have this uh, beat in no time. And he's got a whole lot of people behind him. It's been great for me to watch just through social yeah. how much support he's getting from the viewers. I think he's the most popular broadcaster that this city currently has. And I think you'd be really hard-pressed to say he's not the most popular broadcaster this city has ever known. And that's saying something because we have a lot of successful and very popular broadcasters that have been through here. But I think Jimmy, for me, is at the, is at the very top of that list. So... Wanted to take a little time to do that. Let's transition and go to the Browns. Um, I mentioned that there's two questions here. Is he a Hall of Famer if he retires right now? And is this year setting up to be the best of his pro career? McNuggets, you can start. What, what do you think about the Hall of Fame question? You want to start with the Hall of Fame question? Yeah, we might as well. All right. Just so y'all know, I have numbers galore for y'all today. If you don't like numbers, you're going to hate me today. I'm just going to apologize <laughs> ahead of time. Taking biases aside. Right. Speaking to you, the viewers, if Miles Garrett retired today and never played another down of football in his life, he's not a Hall of Famer. Are we kidding ourselves? Yeah, no. It's not even frankly close. His career ranks, as of today, 88th all-time in sacks. I wouldn't have guessed he was that low. Tied for 191st all-time in forced fumbles and tied for 105th in tackles for loss. Yeah. He's a Browns great as of today, but he is nowhere near a Hall of Famer if he retired. However, however... He is 1 million percent on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Through six seasons, he has 74 and a half career sacks. Only six players ever have had more sacks through six seasons. And do you have the list of those Miles, players? Do I have the list? Of that course list is, I have the list, list of list players. Reads, Are you kidding me? It's a who's who of pass rush. Are you guys ready? Reggie White. One of the greats of all time. DeMarcus Ware with 80. TJ Watt was 77 and a half. Derek Thomas was 77. Bruce Smith was 76. And J.J. Watt was 76. Those guys Those are, are all Hall of Famers or will be. The only players who have ever had more sacks than Miles Garrett through six seasons. Then you may be asking, well, where are the other all-time greats rank through six seasons? Anthony, let's pull up the graphic with the other 
all-time greats through six seasons. And you will see that Miles Garrett is well ahead of most Hall of Fame defensive ends through six seasons. How about Julius Peppers, 56, Michael Strahan, 47, Jason Taylor, 58. The list goes on and on and on. As of today, Miles Garrett, not a Hall of Famer. But he is one million, trillion, gajillion percent on pace to be a Hall of Famer if he continues at the same rate. Or if not even better, which I expect him to be this year for the next couple of seasons. I don't know what a gajillion is, but I co-sign everything you just said. Thank you. So, I, I, are we going to get any dissension here at all? G. Bush, if we're going to, it's going to come from you. Um, No, no. He's not a Hall of Fame. See, I try to look at it differently. If, I'm, if he's going to do the numbers, I'm going to look at it through the eye test, right? Now, Miles Garrett um, is dominant when it comes to pass rushing, right? Um, for the Browns, it's so difficult to watch it because he could be way better if he actually had a, a coach that was was willing to put him in positions to get easier sacks. Hopefully we have that. Now. Hopefully you got that Two, um, another defensive end or defensive tackles that that kind of garner any sort of attention from offensive coordinators, right? Um, he has not played with somebody that you had to double or is going to be a, a, a wrecking ball opposite of when he got Clowney Clowney was at the tail end of his career. yes yeah. yes he and I think Clowney is washed I think Clowney's out of here he hasn't been signed it, so not just you I think the rest of the league is looking I think you he heard him a wash he heard himself with his comments agreed at and, the end of the season towards and, the end of the season and his actions like what do you mean you're only gonna go on third down that, yeah. that seems crazy but I'll say when you look at Miles Garrett he he does not have a defensive player of the year of award that would bolster a lot, right? Mm -hmm. That would help him tremendously because when you're a defensive player of the year, it kind of puts you on a different level, sure. right? Um, and he does not have that so far. And he does, I, I look at the TFLs, right? The TFLs for me is something that you could you can get put in a place where not only are you a great pass rusher, but are you, are you getting in the backfield? Are you playing the run? And what are your tackles for loss look like? I think that's one of the missing parts of Miles Garrett's game. Like you can always say he's going to show up. He's going to give you anywhere from 12 to 16 sacks. That's what I would like to see that number in the 20s. But one of the areas that I would love to see is you be able to dominate in two different facets. J.J. Watt was able to do that by getting deflections and tip passes. Right. I think one year he had 25 deflections, which is, is devastating. On third down, you get the ball knocked down in July. It's scrimmage. almost as good as a sack. It is. Because yeah. it leads to a punt. It's infuriating. Like yeah. Because at least if you let him throw the ball, I got a chance for my receiver to catch the ball and do some things. But he was dominant in that area. He was dominant as a pass rusher. And he was just disruptive. I would just like to see more disruptiveness. <laughs> but as McNugget said, with all those things being said, he is on a fast trajectory. The only player on that list, Reggie White, at 90 sacks, which is crazy. Absurd. Absurd. Yeah. I think he had 95. He had 95. He and also, crazy. some guys I missed on the uh, – Lawrence Taylor. Guess how many sacks he had through six seasons. Lawrence Taylor, arguably the best pass rusher of all 40s? time. 40s? No, he had 73 and a half. One oh, wow. fewer than Miles Garrett. But still, fewer than Miles Garrett. Uh, Aaron Donald, 72. Cameron Wake, 63. Von Miller, 73 and a half. You look at all the historical pass rushers, like yeah. I said, only six players in the history of the NFL have more sacks. So I, I would say that not only is he Garrett. on a trajectory for the Hall of Fame, because I think he clearly is. I, I think he's on a trajectory to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yep. And I also think he's on a trajectory to be, when he's all said and done, listed in the names of the greats that we just put out there. Yep. I think when it's all said and done, he has a chance to be top five. I think he's certainly going to be top 10. Here's my knock on Miles Garrett. And I, I almost feel like I'm looking at the beautifully uh, restored car 
and I'm pointing out the nick and the paint on the yeah. underbody yeah. and the tu- and the slight blemish on the seat. Because other than that, it's so picture-perfect beautiful. But there are blemishes, and the blemishes are the one-dimensional. He, he tends to be one-dimensional. Um, he does need to do something else at an elite level, whether mm. that's knocking down passes. I think he's his, strips, his strip sacks and his fumbles, I think he's getting elite in that area. He's been getting better as he his career's, uh, career's progress. Here's my biggest knock on him. There are still too many times when I have to check, is he in the game? Mm -hmm. Is he playing right now? I haven't seen anything from 95. And when I watch, particularly the two guys in the game right now that really jump off at me, when TJ Watt is on the field, you know it. Every member of the other team knows it, and every fan watching the game knows he's on the field. He doesn't tend to have these lapses, these stretches of, a quarter and a half or two quarters where he's at least making his presence felt. And sometimes when you look at the stat sheet after a game, you're like, wow, Miles didn't play. No tackles, no sacks, no TF, nothing. You know, I just need a Hall of Fame player to constantly be a presence on the field. There was the week three game against Pittsburgh last year where Miles Garrett had, I believe, two tackles, no sacks, no tackles for loss but like a 94 PFF grade. Yeah, and I remember that. We talked about it on the show. We talked about it on the show, and they, they won. It was a Thursday night football game. Right. They won the game, so we were ecstatic. And I, I tweeted at one point. I was like, hey, where, where's Miles Garrett? And then it kind of blew up. People were like, well, he's getting double, triple teamed. And, he always does, but and, the and greats is, always do. And, and that is fair. And his and PFF, like, I don't know ex- – I know what they tell us, how they grade these players. I'm not sitting in a room watching them – knowing what Miles Garrett's defensive assignment was, and I'm not exactly sure where he was supposed to be. G could talk a lot better than I can on the defensive line assignments, especially as a defensive end, and when you're getting double teamed, what you're really supposed to do. But he always grades out well on PFF. And I those guys, I, as much as I think I'm a genius, like those guys know football, and their grades aren't the end-all, be-all of everything. But when he gets a 94 grade, even though he hasn't been, his name hasn't been called and he only has two tackles, I feel like he has to be doing something more than meets the casual eye. And not saying you have a casual eye. He is. No, I do have a casual eye. I mean, all of us. But he has to be doing something more than what we see from a viewer's perspective watching on TV. I want to get G's comments on the uh, PFF rush grade, the rush defense grade. If you could throw that back up again. He had a 93.5 pass grade. It was the highest in football last year. But the run grade grade was in the 64s, which is pretty average for the record, pretty average in context. Sure, when you're geared to get after the quarterback, guys are going to run by you. But should that G. Bush be higher? Than where it is well to, to, talk, to speak a little bit to the PFF grades right um, when you look at the 92.5 overall usually that of a plus minus system when you're getting graded by coaches or you're getting graded by anybody who's watching you play so they, they're gonna give you a point if you did you do your assignment right so if you're supposed to be in C gap where you're in C gap uh, did you get moved off the ball did you get uh, you know blocked and did you let somebody get to the next level if you stay in your gap, you don't get blown off the ball. They give you a plus for that. Okay, did you get penetrations? Even if you got blocked by two or three people, did you get penetration? Did you at least make the ball bounce somewhere else, even if you don't make the tackle? And then the big thing is if you have to allocate two resources to block Miles Garrett, you also get a, pu- a plus because that's one less player that you have to block. So other even guys. before the ball snapped, he's kind of in plus territory because he's double teamed or uh, chipped. All so is the it, there it is. Is he's, it like a point guard who could have ten assists if everyone makes their shots, but may leave a game with three assists because guys went three of ten? Is, is that kind yeah, of what yes, you're saying? Yes, because okay. here, as a pass rusher, Miles Garrett literally has about 
I would say between five and 10 opportunities to get sacks a game, right? And and those are when a quarterback holds the ball more than a, a, a very quick two amount of time, seconds, two and a half right. seconds. PFF also has that. If you get pressure within two and a half seconds and a quarterback throws the ball and nothing happens, uh, you get an extra credit point for that too because you're making him throw the ball quickly. So you can do all of these things, right? You can be in your gap. You can put your hands up. You can have all these pluses. But when you look at the stat sheet, it doesn't say anything because right. it's not showing it's up. Not showing up. Yeah. It's, it's difficult for you to flash. And so when he does flash and he does get sacks after being double teamed, now his, his grade is off the charts because now you got a sack and you got double teamed. So that's why sometimes things like that happen when you look at the overall grades. But to your point, the, the run the run grade is at 68% because you're not affecting that play. You're not like there should be a number of time where you, Miles Garrett lets somebody get outside of him, right? There's for context, a, what's TJ Watts PFF run grade? Just just for context. I'm, uh, Earl would have to look that up. Brandon. Okay, Earl, I'm if you sure get that, let head. us know. I'm not sure what it was. Micah Parsons, you know, he's yeah. another guy that I look at that I, like, oh, I yeah, never have. He's never invisible to me. Yeah, yeah. When Micah's on the field, when TJ's on the field, Aaron Donald was. I think Aaron Donald has set the new bar. Yeah, when you watch Aaron Donald as a defense lineman, he's undersized inside. But the way Aaron Donald plays the run and the pass, he he did it in a way that was unique because he's really not trying to engage with you. Like he's just like, oh, I'm quick enough, I can run around you. And I can run underneath you. You can get off blocks. And I can get off blocks. I can shed. So you don't know what Aaron Donald's going to do. Right. And they give him a two-way go a lot of times to, to maximize that. And now he can go left or right. So now you're guessing. Sometimes, and, and we have to take in consideration, defensive coordinators, I used to be defensive coordinators nightmares because I would I wasn't going to just be in my gap all the time like that. Like because You were the OBJ of defensive yeah, linemen. Yeah, they'd be like, listen, if you make that tackle, you better make that tackle because you were supposed to be an A guy. I'm like, well, he was running in B. I got it. I could spill off late and make that. They're like, no, that's not. That's not what we do. We we doing. Yeah. Anthony, we you got the grades? Yeah. For context, TJ is 71 point or 77.1, mm -hmm. and then Parsons is 73.2. Okay. So those are I, uh, TJ significantly better. Mm -hmm. Micah, who is more of a pass rusher, I guess, but it's still 73, yeah. five points higher than Miles Garrett. I wonder real quick. I wonder because the Browns. Rush defense was so bad last year. I wonder that if too. Everyone got dinged, not, not dinged, but because the no, entire unit was horrendous. Everyone's grades are just lower than they typically would Jeep, be. Jeep probably. Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah, and a lot. Like they. I mean, Tokii and uh, Jordan Elliott and Taven Bryan all had 30s last yeah. year in the middle. So they, and and sometimes we used to call it hiding people. When you got a team and you're not good. You got to hide people <laughs> like I, I know that's the best defensive tackle you got, but you have to do things yeah. schematically like I, like sometimes coaches have their best performances with whack defenses because it forces them to be creative. You mean like gimmicked up yeah, gimmicked like, up like they're like, hey, we had when we played for OU, we used to have this defense called loop check, right? And we would line up and basically what we would do is we would turn and run diagonal down the sideline. Like down the line of scrimmage at the snap of the ball at the snap of the ball everybody. So my job was to be a head up on the tackle and I had to get to a gap. Even if they were blocking me, I had to turn and run run diagonally, right? Wow. Then the nose he had to run that and everybody ran this way. And what happened was they created this thing called the rope technique. 
and our linebacker, uh, his name was uh, Dennis Chukulimeka. He was a, a really good linebacker in the MAC. And what they do, they say, you're doing the rope of adult technique. What you're going to do is everybody's going to run that way. The ball should never stay front side because everybody on our team is running that way. So the ball has to cut back. And he was he would stand here, take two steps, and then scrape right off the backside. He's and kind a, of on an island, and, and he's yeah. on. A, so that guy has to make the he's tackle. He's got to make it. So our, so he was probably a very good open field tackler. He was tackler. a very good open field tackler. And what they did, they said, we don't have the athletes to play these guys straight up. Yeah. And we basically were one of the best teams in the country at stopping the run. It wasn't because we were great. It was because we would do things like, all right, we got one guy. We're going to make sure that you can't block anybody. You're not going to run in front side. So the ball is going to spill. So you're really forcing them to kick it back the other way. Yeah. Yes. And then when they do, there's the gobble up is going to is going to clean them up every time. And it's one on one. And if he breaks the tackle, he's probably going 45 yards yep, for a touchdown. And, and, and if he gets tackled, it looks genius. And then the adjustment was we had one of our best players was a, a uh, named Rob Stover. He was a safety at Ohio State, right? So we got him as a transfer. We always oh, spot shadow him. So what they would do is say, Chuk, you're going to be right here. Yeah, if you if the ball does not declare it has to come back. You're standing there and they will send the strong safety Rob Stover screaming off the edge as if he was blitzing. Wow. And so now if Chuk doesn't hit him, you got another leverage player that's already there as well that could clean up the tackle and people just didn't understand what we were running. They yeah. were like, what is the, I've never seen this technique. Why is these linemen just getting up running across the field? It's a pitcher who has a 91 mile an hour fastball who has to live off junk. Yep, that's it. it yeah. Essentially lives off Interesting. junk. Okay, let's do an ad read quick and then we'll ask if this is setting up to be Miles Garrett's most successful season. Anthony? Yeah, before we get into the next topic, guys, I just want to remind everybody that the USFL is back in Canton, and you can get great seats starting at just $10. Mm-hmm. Buy your wow. tickets today at the USFL.com. Saturday, June 10th, a bunch of the UCSS crew is going to go down. Thanks yes, to sir. Boogie. Shout out. Yeah. So come and get some tickets and come hang out with us down at the USFL game. Nice. Very nice. That's next Saturday, right? Next Saturday. Next Saturday. Boogie yeah, got so us 15 tickets, so. A week from tomorrow. We're going to have a squad down at the USFL game. Very at nice. Tom Benson Stadium. Very, very good. All right, um, is this year, this coming season, setting up to be the best ever for Miles Garrett? Do you want to start? You want me to start? Yeah, I think um, I think this year it's so much on the line. Like usually, year after year goes by, and you know you you get excited for the Browns around this time. And in the last couple of years, we've been over the top joyous about the Browns because they brought in big names. Um, we felt we had a, a franchise quarterback of Baker Mayfield. We made the playoffs. So we've been in the last five or so years with these expectation levels. But for myself, I just think this year is special. I, yeah. I do, you, 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 and you take a look at, you know, Jim Donovan going through it. And he's going to go through it. and He's going to still call these games. Sure. He's going to still you look at the passing of Jim Brown. Um, you know, they're going to probably honor him throughout the season. You look at the culmination of this being a make or break year for Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry, and they've tried to do what they can in, in, in making this roster better. And then you got Deshaun Watson first full year uh, under center and you get an opportunity to see if he's going to bounce back. But for for me, I think this year is going to be um, very special. It's either going to be a make-or-break year for a lot of people, and I think for Miles Garrett, this is a make-or-break year when it comes to him putting himself in that level. Right now, he's a great player, and he's an all-time great for the Brown. But he's not, he's made no qualms about it. He said up front, I want to be one of the best to ever put the pads on at my position <coughs> group, right? 
And so we talked about just uh, a few seconds ago where he's at in that pecking order. And this year, he's going to have one of the best opportunities he's ever going to have to do it. It's Darius Smith, Oboe, and the other, the other side. You got two pass rushers, mm-hmm. and, and one guy is Darius Smith, who's who's put up large numbers. The best pass rusher, in my opinion, that Miles Garrett has ever played with by far. Not even close. Not even close. Tomlinson is a guy that's going to be in the middle. That now you can't just be taking up. T- you know, Miles Garrett ain't going to get triple team because guess what? You got other guys that can make plays. They put him around some of those guys, and I think. Jim Schwartz, as I'm looking at it, and, and I've been just really just in the lab studying the way he goes about putting people in a, in a place. He's not going to he's not going to blitz all the time, and that's not what we're saying. But what he is going to do is he's going to take his best players and he's going to say, I'm going to use my natural cheat code. Y'all ain't been using Miles Garrett, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, I got a cheat code. Y'all been lining him up straight, straight up. I ain't never going to line up straight up with him. I'm going to have him with a three technique. I'm going to have him moving around. Maybe one day he might be standing up. I don't want you ever to know where Miles Garrett is. And if he can do that, it's going to open him up to play a style of football that now you talk about the way Lawrence Taylor used to play, where you don't know where Lawrence Taylor it's is. Unpredictable. It's unpredictable. Yeah. Like, he play outside linebacker, but Lawrence Taylor play everything. Yeah, I like that. Makes perfect sense. McNuggets? Yeah, I don't just agree with you, Bush, I'm going to take it to the next level. This is not only his best chance at having a career season, this is his best chance and probably his last best chance to win Defensive Player of the Year, which is something he's mentioned that he is a personal goal of his for a couple of reasons. One, last year he had 16 sacks. It's tied for second in the league, despite facing the most double teams of any defensive end in football, according to PFF. So despite being double teamed and the only priority – Uh, for opposing offensive lines. He still finished with 16 sacks, second most in the league. He also had the highest pass rush win rate at 26.5 last year, facing these double teams. Well, you can't double team him this year every play with the addition of Zadarius Smith, Oboe, Tomlinson, Ika, who I do think is a better pass rush than he gets credit for, Alex Wright, uh, Isaiah McGuire, with all those additions. And if you do decide to still double team Miles Garrett, which I'm not going to blame offensive coordinators for, you're going to leave Zadarius Smith or Oboe or one of those guys against a tight end or a running back in one-on-one coverage, which is essentially suicide for the opposing offense. So he had a 26.5 pass rush win rate last year based off double teams and beating double teams. I don't think it's crazy to think that based on having more single coverages and one-on-one opportunities to get to the quarterback, he can't be in the 30%, which would break PFF's record. Mm. And he had 16 sacks last year facing the most double teams without any help from anyone else on the defensive line. Taven Bryan was second on the team in sacks last year with three. I'm not calling it. I wouldn't bet on it, but it also would not shock me if he broke the single-season sack record this year. I'm wow. serious. It would not shock me. I, I don't think – I wouldn't put my name on it. I wouldn't put money sure. on it. But it's 22 and a half. I don't think it's absurd to think he could have – It should be 21 and a half. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think it's too. absurd for him to have yeah. five, six more sacks with all the other options on this defensive yeah. line. And as you alluded to, Jim Schwartz is going to mix and match him around. He's not always going to be over the right tackle rushing from that left end position. He's going to be used on the interior where he is so much more athletic than guards and centers. He'll be used on the same side as Darius Smith. How the hell are you going to block those two when they're both healthy coming at the quarterback? So I'm not calling it, but it definitely would not shock me if we end the season with Miles Garrett being not only defensive player of the year, 
but holding the NFL single season sack record. All right, I, uh, we're having too much agreement here this morning. <laughs> Man, <laughs> did we share notes before? I, I know. I, I promise no. you, I will disagree on some Guardian stuff Good. and some Nuggets stuff. I, right. Even if I don't believe it, I will be the. I want to disagree with you guys somewhere, and the reason I do is because I don't want to be that guy that every year says, "Oh, this Super Bowl, Super baby, Bowl, Super Brown." So, I mean, it's, but it's this year a break. I think I if understand we're in this that. situation next year. We're having different conversations if it doesn't go how we anticipate. Yeah, so I'll cherry pick off. Part of what you said and part of what you said. When you look at the layout of how this season is shaping up before we even get into the schedule, Stefanski's on the hot seat. Andrew Barry's on the hot seat. Facts. There are players in this organization that are very much on this on the hot seat. This either comes together and works, or the 2024 Browns, in my view, will look dramatically different. Facts. Dramatically different. So, Deshaun Watson. Lot of lot of pressure on him. Huge. He has got to return to the Houston Texans form that had him in the MVP conversation. Oh, facts. So because all of these things aren't within the next two years or the next three years or the next five years, it's this year. Mm-hmm. I think that there is going to be a different feeling in July when these guys come back full force, ready to get ready for the season. It's going to feel different in Berea. It's not going to be a loosey-goosey, you know, we're house money kind of deal. It's going to be, guys, it's time to put up or shut up because this is it. For this group, for this core, we got to do it now because everybody's getting long in the tooth. The contracts are getting a little uncomfortable when it comes to the salary cap. So the pressure for them to do it is probably as high now as it's been at any time in the last decade, even after they came back when Baker took them in the playoffs the year yeah, before. Yeah, they, I, I think it's even more than that because they're coming off two disappointing seasons in a row. And Kevin Stefanski needs his genius credentials checked. Yep. You know, he, he was coach of the year in his first year. It has not gone as planned. The last two, three in a row is a problem. It usually costs a coach a job. Yeah. So all of that being said, the table is set. But then I'm going to go off what you said. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. You can't. It's now pick your poison with this club. Last year, teams were like, they have no one on their defensive front that scares us. At all. No one not wearing the jersey number 95. So they put all of their resources into stopping 95, and he still had a Pro Bowl season. All pro. All pro. So now what, you, what you're looking at is you bring in all of these reinforcement troops to bring in waves of fresh legs on the defensive front. To your point, you want to double team them? You're going to learn to live with the consequences from the other guys. If you decide you're going to try to handle them on a single team, it better be an all-pro line, uh, offensive lineman that, that handles Damn it. Damn straight. Because that's what it's going to take to keep him down. All of that being said, wouldn't be surprised at all if he had at least 20 sacks. Uh, I think I think it's in the cards where he could break the all-time single-season sack record, which would be it would need 23 sacks yep. 
to do that. But with the added game, the 17-game schedule now, it's a little more than a sack a game. I think it's doable for him. Yeah. I think that there's no reason at all to believe why he couldn't be in the defensive player of the year running. And if all of that happens, I think we're talking about an 11-6, and six, a 12-5, and five, and a trip to the playoffs. And one more thing I didn't mention. We all are in agreement, or I, Jay, I think you are, that Watson's going to be pretty damn good this year. That we think he can get, and I don't want. I'm still hopeful. I'm not confident. Fair, and I don't want to sidetrack this, but right. if Watson's good, yes, the Browns should be able to score a lot of points this year. That's the hope, and they'll be ahead in a lot of games, unlike last year where they were coming from behind. Correct, and that leads to more passing opportunities and pass rushing opportunities. To G's point, for Miles Garrett to get after the quarterback. Right. When a team's running it 12 times in a row, yeah, Miles Garrett, you might as well take Miles Garrett and can't take get him to the locker room. Yeah. Exactly, because he's essentially rendered ineffective, and so. If you're putting your opponent down more than a score in the second half, now instead of your quarterback having 22 dropbacks, he might have 32. Yes. And that yeah. obviously increases the chance. Let me ask facts. you guys this, just for a little, hopefully a little dissension. We're not all in agreement here. What's more likely this year? Miles Garrett breaks the sack record or doesn't lead the Browns in sacks? Oh, he'll lead the Brown in, Browns in sacks. Yeah, I think he's going to lead in sacks. Um, the sack record. Oh, no, 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 no. Or someone else will lead the Browns in sacks. So, so either Miles Garrett breaks the sack record or someone not named Miles oh, Garrett leads um, the Browns in yeah, sacks. Yeah, okay. So sorry, flip it. Sorry, yes, yes, um, yes. Ooh. I just thought of that. More, more likely? I don't know that either one's going to happen. I, I just, in, barring an injury, which you can never predict, yeah. 95 is leaving, leading the Browns in sacks. But so I'm saying, what's more likely the fact that he breaks the record well, or yeah, Darius Smith? Because okay. I don't think there's, a, I don't, th- I think there's no chance at all anyone on the Browns gets more sacks than Miles Garrett if Miles Garrett plays the bulk of the games. You agree with that, G? Yeah, it, 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 I haven't. I, it's it's too hard because I haven't envisioned it. I haven't seen it, I, and I know Zadarius Smith can. Right, I mean, I went back and watched all his games for, from Green Bay. And Powerful, he, and he's just, I mean, he's versatile. He, can, you, he's another guy who is a, he does his best pass rushing over guards. Um, he, he has speed. He transitions to power very well. And this is a guy, how many, he's eight, eight seasons. He has 54 and a half sacks right now. Um, you, you take a look. This guy is, is a bona fide top tier pass rusher opposite mm-hmm. Miles Garrett. However, but he's not in Miles Garrett's league. However, no, 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 no. Miles Garrett has too many traits. Like, like Miles Garrett is, is pretty much faster than most of every defensive lineman. He's probably stronger than all of them. And the, the thing that makes Miles Garrett so good is his, his bend is so elite. Like, uh, Jadavion Clowney, play, a lot of players play stiff, right? You, you, you know, and when you without mean, the bend. Without the bend. His bend is like he can transition his power and momentum from a crouching position to the quarterback while – think about it. He's 280, 280, 285, 280, whatever the case is. So if he's that low, his body has to support 285 exploding, right? But then he's underneath a 320-pound tackle. So look at the amount of, of pressure and torque that is with 320 on, above you, 285. You do the math. That's 700 yeah. some odd pounds that he's still able to turn and bend and keep his body and it, momentum upright. It's like a dragster that can corner. Yeah. Right. Like those are built yeah. for inline He's got that inline straight speed, but he's got the agility of a pure athlete. It's crazy. And there's nothing more beautiful to me than when he comes wide around the edge 
and you see that bend in full display. And I love the still shots because oftentimes in video, it happens too fast to appreciate it. But when you see a still picture. He's one of the only players where the stills might be equivalent to the actual video. (laughs) It's unbelievable. His body is about six inches off the ground. And you're asking yourself, how is he able to support that weight to turn that corner without losing his feet and the, the answer is, go look at his workout videos, right, his yeah. freakish workout videos. And Von Miller's another guy who has similar – he's not as big, but similar yeah. bend. Both recruited and coached by the same guy at A&M. Wow. So, Terry Price might be doing something right down in uh, college. Yeah, Station. I think so. I mean, that's two, that, two good ones to have on your resume. Yeah. Uh, a lot of natural ability in both those um, guys, obvi- too. Obviously. But, but you can yeah. miscoach that. You know, you, you, that's not always a home run. Okay, um, you, you have another read before we move on? Yeah, so we reached out to the YouTube chat and asked them the same question we asked you guys. And whenever we do that, it's brought to you by PCC Airfoils. Looking for a job with career advancement and great benefits? PCC Airfoils is a leading manufacturer in Northeast Ohio. And all locations in PCC Airfoils in Eastlake, Menor, Wycliffe, and Minerva are hiring for all positions starting at $18 and up. Plus, get full benefit package, paid time off, and signing bonus. Apply online at precast.com slash careers to learn more. So, guys, we went to the chat, and we asked them, is this the best year for Defensive Player of the Year? Before you answer, wait, wait, before you answer that, let's guess what the chat says. 85% yes. 79% 79% yes. We go 65% yes. Uh, Mike, you are the closest. It's about a 60-40 split. 60 wow, yes, okay. 40 no. Shout out to the chat. Wait, 60-40 no? No, 60-40 yes. Okay. 60% yeah. yes, Shout out to the chat for no. being reasonable. Yeah, I thought it would be way, way I higher than that. It I felt like, yes, this is, the ch- this is his best chance yet. I, I mean, he's got the most help. No, no. Was you asking about the Hall of Fame or best chance to win? Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then that's, Defensive Player of the Year. Then, can we put a poll? Ask if he's a Hall of Famer right now. Just, just curious. Do a, do a two-minute. Earl's call. on it. Earl, thank you. And while Earl does that, I think that would be less than fifty percent. Well, we'll see. We'll see the homers. If, if he get, I, I think the watermark. If you look at the the, like, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of those with a lot of sacks. You got Dolman, um, Kevin Green. There's a lot of people. How yeah. long? You got to really be in the hundred. Like the hundred is the bar. Like okay. He's yeah. only played six years. Like yeah, yeah, he feels yeah. like he's been around forever because he's been through yeah, what, three different Browns yeah. regimes now. Well, and he came in and was successful right away. Uh, right away, but he's only been around for six years. His yeah. first play, he got a sack. Crazy, Sir, yeah. First play, crazy. I was there that day. Guy, yeah. you know, it's just it was you know you could feel the electricity in the air. I'll get one of my buddies from College Station has been covering A and M for years, and he's the number. He's the Adam Schefter of. A&M Athletics. I've right. got to get him on to tell us some miles stories. He's got some good I bet miles he's got stories. some crazy yeah. miles I'll, I'll get him on. Steve, remind me to text Billy Lucci after this. Okay. All right, and before we get to our next topic about Shannon Sharp leaving Undisputed, I want to remind everybody that Lorraine Community College classes are up, and you can sign up today at LorraineCCC.edu. Your classes, your future, Lorraine County Community College. Great. Do you know how I know Anthony's learning from me? How's that? Because he forgot to say Lorraine County Community College. And I did that for the first two weeks of this read. <laughs> Lorraine County community, there is a third C, LCCC. <laughs> Disrespecting Jason Lloyd like that, Anthony. Say Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga. All right. Cuyahoga. That was an Earl joke. <laughs> Undefeated. I, Undefeated. We have a special top five for Mike later today. I just want to say I should have added this. Me and Mike spend too much time together. That's, <laughs> that should be on That's the list. It. You're actually anything. brothers now. The it's two a, of us, and like Earl included, we, uh, the three of us, Spend too much time together, and we're texting constantly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we work out together now every once in a while too. So I know. I see that. Good. I see that. That's sure. how you know you've got good coworkers when you yeah. willingly spend time with them away from work. Facts. Yeah, and you guys willingly certainly in, do that. But, you know. <laughs> if you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this off season, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. 
Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.